This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Some of the big names that travel up and down the highways, obviously Elvis and Johnny Cash, and you have Jerry Lewis, Carl Perkins. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Johnny Cash suggested that Carl write a song called Blue Suede Shoes that was all kind of created with Aaron Amory. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. Good morning. Welcome to Deep South Dining. This is Malcolm White with Carol Palmer. It's a Monday morning and it's uh, fall, more or less. Carol? The leaves are turning, Mal. The leaves are turning. You know, I was in Oxford this weekend and there were so many brilliant leaves. It's amazing what 150 miles will do for you. Right. They're in a different zone, I think Felder would tell you. Yes, they were. <laughs> so <laughs> it was, was, it, was red and gold. Beautiful, colorful zone. It was just absolutely gorgeous. So we have a lot to look forward to in the bold new city this week. Yes, fall is coming. Fall is coming. All right, so uh, this weekend at uh, my humble abode, we had a, a sort of a incident in that the stovetop blew up and quit functioning. So actually it happened. In the middle of last week, so I would certainly refer to that as an incident. <laughs> so, what what Karen and I've had to figure out is how to improvise without your stovetop because because of course we had to get a service person in who had to make an analysis, order the parts, get an estimate, and of course the whole episode will take two or three weeks. We know this, so we're without a stovetop. So we've been preparing our meals on the oven and using the microwave and the uh, and the small toaster oven. So it's been kind of interesting to improvise in that way. Well, if anybody can do it, I am certain that you can well, because you are flexible, flexible, if nothing. And, and out of that disaster uh, came a pumpkin cake that I have brought for you in Java this morning that Kara made yesterday, um, and it's uh, quite, quite zippy. It's quite tasty. I um, want to talk to Java about this. Java, I have accidentally eaten the top off of <laughs> my cake. Well, I was going to ask, what are the, the, I guess, the are those pumpkin seeds? Correct, sir. Okay. Bing, 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 <laughs> bing. So it's a, a, a pumpkin cake made with pumpkin uh, pumpkin. Pumpkin, pumpkin. <laughs> and then it's got this icing topping and then the pumpkin, roasted pumpkin seeds on top. Really good. I hope you all enjoy it. And it's that time of year because Kevin Farrell, another producer here, he famously bakes cookies every Monday. And uh, today is a melt-in-your-mouth pumpkin uh, cookie. Yeah. So I was it, trying... I'm trying to get ahead of the pumpkin spice. Yeah, uh, well, knowing, we're all about the pumpkin from here on out. Knowing that it was coming. Good, so, good. So Carol, I, I, I jump on it. I am all about this type of pumpkin spice. Hey, Java, I heard you were at a dinner this weekend. A little bird told me. Yeah, it was a, it was a good thing. There's a lot of um, HBCU love uh, this weekend. It is Jackson State's homecoming this week, but last week was Tougaloo. College's Founders Week, and um, they had a number of events, and I was able to attend their um, Tougaloo Agri-Growth, Agri-Growth Initiative. Um, 
uh, dinner, farm, fresh farm-to-table dinner they had last night. And, of course, the one and only Enrica Williams um, was uh, cooking. So, you know, I was happy to be in attendance. <laughs> well, I am so proud that you're talking about Tougaloo because, as you know, the Lou is very close to my heart. I've served it on their board of directors for a number of years. And I know that your wife is on campus or, or has been on campus there. Yeah, they with the high with the, um, yeah the uh, Jackson uh, uh, High School early early college high school is on there. Um, she's no longer on the campus. She has another position within Jackson Public Schools. But yeah, Tougaloo is a it's a great school, even though it's not Jackson State. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of Jackson, it is State. a private liberal arts college, and it has the highest academic standards. It has a noble history in the civil rights movement as a safe haven for um, freedom writers and some of the greatest names in America have spoken at their podium. So we don't have a football team to (laughs) rival Jackson State, but we've had Bob Dylan, Joan Baez, Bobby Kennedy, Martin Luther King, Edward Moses on our podium, so there. Yeah, no, no, Tougaloo, I have many friends who are Tougaloo alums, and, you know, it's like I said, it's, a, it's all HBCU love, but, I mean, I'm feeling extra Tiger Pride because it is our homecoming week. Okay, <laughs> tell us, can you tell us the dish that you had? Um, well, I know um, I, w- I actually was on the ones and twos, so I didn't get a chance to just eat like I normally eat when Enrica is cooking, but um, I had a delicious caramel cake. Um, also she made, I took home a plate of squash and macaroni and cheese, of course. And, um, uh, uh, what else did, what else did she cook? Some, uh, some nice sweet potatoes, um, for my, for my wife. Mm. Yeah. Excellent. And where was the dinner held? Uh, it was actually an outside dinner. I can show you some pictures later. It was right behind the uh, woman's new dorm, um, across from their agrigulth agri-growth um, tunnel where they grow fresh greens and um, they're having an initiative where they're going to be studying um, uh, uh, food ways about uh, the different food disparities um, throughout the South. Excellent. Very good. Um, you know, Carol, I saw Allen Ginsberg perform uh, at Tougaloo and then we had a reception at the president's home and uh, Lemuria was involved. He did a book signing. But yes, wow. they have brought many, many uh, iconic folks to campus. But speaking of Jackson State and HBCU, uh, did either of you see Coach Prime on 60 Minutes yesterday, yesterday last night? I saw some clips, and uh, Charles, our intern who's on the phones, if you want to give us a call, he he saw the yeah. uh, the thing. But what did, did you see him? I did. Yeah, it was it was Carol, very interesting. Did tell. Well, I mean, it covered his career. Uh, it covered his uh, his ailment with his leg and foot. It covered his goals and his ambitions, and he talked about uh, the the disparity of 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 funding with with. Uh, the different universities. He talked about his ambitions to, to coach, and uh, but it was really interesting. It it highlighted a lot of. Uh, it talked about the water crisis in Jackson. I mean, he took that head on. So it was very wide ranging. What what a great asset to our to our state. Yeah, yeah it's great. Okay, let me uh, go to cooking and yeah, coping for a minute. Yeah, let's go to co- let's go right there. I haven't 
cooked. I've cooked a lot. Hadn't cooked much. But I was frying brim this week, mm-hmm. and I have a drawer full of thermometers. I could not get a thermometer to, to register correctly on either that or a pork tenderloin I did. Mm. And so I pulled out all of those thermometers, and I took a picture and put it on cooking and coping and asked for advice. And? And, as usual, there were – I mean, people just gave me so much advice, but the number one thermometer – that all of our cooks recommended is called the thermopin. The thermopin. I cannot wait to So go you're getting search. rid of all of these old thermometers. Yeah, I mean, it was just overwhelming. And, you know, also it was, I would say nine out of ten people who responded talked about the thermopin. Hmm. And uh, I've never had it. I owned a gourmet store for over 30 years, and I never stocked the thermopin. But today is the day. It's never too late to get an early start, Carol. Never. Never. So, the thermopin. Now, we uh, were sharing, before we went on the air, a few of the tidbits that we saw throughout this past week on the Internet, and I shared a few with you. And one was about loading your dishwasher. And, Are you up or down? Well, whether do you put your silverware in uh, with uh, the handles up or the handles down? And I'm kind of... A mixed bag. I just sort of throw them in there. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of an up because it's it's easy. You know, you can just grab a handful. Mm-hmm. So the knife and then blade, just drop them in there, and the fork, the, all of the, uh, it's all up. It's all it all sticking up. Little sticking did up. I know yes. until well, you until you corrected me. Well, a couple of reasons that you want to put them down is that when you reach in to to uh, to place all of your silverware in its drawers, you could easily stab yourself by reaching directly into the dishwasher if they are up, if the prong, the knife, that and the fork. That is a very good point. The other reason you don't want them up is when you reach in to grab them, to put them away, you take your dirty hands and grab the eating part of the, of that the is using even part. A- better reason so you want it down so that when you're taking them out you're holding them by their handle it's amazing what tidbits of wisdom we share here and i want to hear java weigh in on this was that news to you java no because i also put them down because i have little ones and when we open the dishwasher it is like a big thing everybody wants to come and help Everybody wants to come and help. So we have to, wow. you know, you have to have them down because they will reach in and get poked by the fork, go to knife or something like that. So there you go. There you go. Good. What other tidbits, Carol, did we harvest well, this Well, past you week? sent me a couple of things that really spoke to me. And one is clean as you go yes. when, you're, when you're cooking. This really spoke to me because I can tear up a kitchen quicker than anybody you've ever seen. It just (laughs) is a total wreck. And I had been, I'd had this on my mind because I have a friend, uh, our common friend, Dr. Nancy Campbell, who is not only a fabulous cook, but her kitchen just looks amazing after she's cooked all these fabulous things. So she was trying to help me one day in the kitchen when we were getting ready, learn to clean as you go. It didn't work, but, I mean, it's worked a little bit. Uh-huh. 
but you continuously wipe. And yeah. Julia Child was a big fan of um, of clean as you yeah. go. And most restaurant people are because that's what you're taught is to keep your station clean because you can't cook for hundreds. Well, if it, your there's station just so much going on, though. I just, you know. Yeah. Um, but try to clean as you go. It, yeah. you'll, you'll be happy at the end of the meal. Yes, I'm, I'm for the deep clean of the kitchen every now and then, and Nothing I'm also a big soaker because mm. we eat late, and um, it's easier to soak and than I to actually do the dishes. Don't want to clean up. Yeah, so I'm, I'm a big soaker. And I got you. I, I you know call that's it wrong. soaking. I call I it uh, being a, a, a procrastinator. Procrastinating the inevitable. Right. Well, I get up early, early oh, and yeah, do it. Yeah. But but let me tell you another thing you sent me that I really loved. And it talked about hidden dirt in your kitchen. Mm. And, you know, we're all pretty good at cleaning countertops and surfaces uh, and everything. But the Vena Hood is one of the places, not only in a restaurant kitchen, but in a home kitchen. Because in your effort to keep your your room smoke-free, when the smoke goes up in the Vena Hood, also particles of grease and food... And it's not really hard because most of them pop out. Right. You just kind of lift the them filters. out. Mm-hmm. Lift them out. You put them in, in your sink, in hot soapy water, mm. dry them off, and put them back in. But as we start getting ready for Thanksgiving, we're not quite ready for our countdown. It's a good thing to start deep cleaning your kitchen, and the Vena Hood would be a good place to start. Time to get ready for the holidays. We're all excited about what we eat and prepare during the holidays. But I really appreciate these tips that you send well, good, me. Good, good. I, I love to gather them I'm a better cook and a better woman because and, of and it. And send them out. And sometimes uh, they touch a nerve, sometimes not. All right. <clears throat> it is break time. This is our first break of today. And when we return, we will welcome long-awaited interview conversation with James Beard Award-winning chef and author of the new cookbook, I Am From Here. Vishwish Bhatt. We will dive deep into his new book, talk about what's happening in Oxford at the snack bar and the farmer markets and anything else that is worthy of a visit with Vish. Carol Palmer, Malcolm White, Java Chapman, and friends. Before we dig into our long-awaited conversation with Vish Bot from Oxford, Mississippi. We'll take a caller. We have a caller. Rebecca is calling us from Fulton, Mississippi, which is home to Itawamba Community College. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning. How are you? Doing fine. How are you? I'm great. What's going on? Well, I, I wanted to know if, if other people knew about this. Um, out in the apartment complex where I live, they, they put these um, they put put these things underneath the, the hood that they look like tuna cans, but then they have this magnetic thing that attaches them to the, uh, by the hood. And so if, if there's a fire, if it, if it, if it turns off the sensor, then, then it drops, I guess it, I mean, I'm not sure what it is, if it's hmm. baking soda or what it is, but it, but it will help to quench the fire. And I just wondered if, if most, kitchens if they're recommending that or or what because i had never heard of it before 
Well, <clears throat> that is an interest. Carol and I are looking at each other in the way that we do when we're stumped. Uh, I'm not familiar with that, but I do know that putting baking soda on a fire is uh, a useful one way to put it out. I would love to look into that. Uh, I was in Home Depot last week, mm-hmm. and I noticed how many small fire extinguisher cans there are available now. That I think that's a pretty new thing, but... Uh, We'll dig a little deeper on that. It sounds great. And we'll pose that to our uh, radio compadres at Fix It 101 and see what they know about excellent, it. Excellent. Excellent idea, Mal. But thank you so thank much you. for listening. That's a, a curiosity, of course, and thank you for calling. We have one more caller. Uh, Fletcher is on the phone in Jackson right here locally. Hey, Fletcher, what's happening? Oh, well, hope y'all are, too. Doing um, well. By um, by deductive reasoning, I did my utensils down years ago for the reasons you mentioned. But my question, after you take your uh, cups and um, mugs and stuff out of the washer, do you store them up or down? Oh, down for us, Carol. What a great question. Yeah, down. We go. We go down. So nothing will. Be in them when you pull them out in case something were to fall in. Like them. A, something, something that crawls. Well, no, crawls or just a f- anything a that flake. might flake yeah. from the atmosphere. You know, Malcolm, I just think I live a random life. <laughs> <laughs> now, so Java's going to. I'm not sure what Java I will have thoughts on this. Java, do you, cups oh, up or down? Down. Okay, and for, for the go. reasons that you said, something could pop you don't in want there. To, something might accidentally. Yeah. Uh, relocate so you store in, them in down the cup. or the bowl all right well that's great Fletch, what a great question yeah really good, good. we actually do ours up so uh, tell us why water well I, I, my thought is just residual water doesn't damage the uh the surface oh the leftover uh, water use, that might be on it. residual mm-hmm. yeah we use them uh frequent enough where uh dust and hopefully uh uh, six-legged things don't end up mm. in a barrel. Well, that's great. Well, Fletch, thanks so much for uh, listening to our show and for taking time to call in and to uh, flummox us, as usual. <laughs> we get these questions, and sometimes we know, sometimes we don't. That's what we love about our audience. Carol, would you please, at this time, introduce our very special guest this morning? Malcolm, this is a guest we've been waiting for for a few months, but he has been on the road in the papers from the Wall Street Journal to the New York Times because of this incredible cookbook, Yes, I Am From Here. But just to give you a little background, Vish Vish Wish, as his proper name is, is a James Beard award-winning chef in Oxford, Mississippi at Snack Bar one of both of our favorite restaurants. Um, He immigrated with his family from Gujarat, India. At age 17, he first settled in Austin, Texas. His dad, I believe, was a professor there. Went to college at University of Kentucky and to graduate school at, at Ole Miss, and that's what took him to Oxford. And while he was a student, he started cooking for money and as a hoppy and you know pretty much the rest is history he teamed up with with john currents in the kitchen he started there uh loved it so much loved cooking and found such a passion in it that he went to culinary school and as i believe john currents says uh 
cooking school is great, but it doesn't make you a chef. Right. Working in the kitchen and developing your own sense of food and passion uh, passion for food does that. But he began incorporating Indian influences into his some of his food at Snack Bar when that opened and started gaining notoriety. And then, you know, just you know, people have to realize that being winning a James Beard Award, that means all of the critics, all of your fellow cooks, you know, honor you as as that. And he was best chef in the South. But before we actually bring Vish here, I wanted to just read a couple of things from the introduction to the book. Um, hi there, Vish. Hey, how are you guys? Good, good. Um, your book is, is so, uh, it, it's probably my favorite cookbook of the last few years, but the introduction by John Kearns is one of the most beautifully written introductions to a cookbook and it tells so much about you and uh, I'm going to read just a couple of things that John Kearns wrote Uh, and he's talking about the trips that the two of you took and he said on these trips we would frequently descend into a conversation about finding a small spot for him to work on his food Vish declaring that he would never be the cliché, grinning Indian chef in a small southern town hawking curry and tikka masala. In his mind, he was a southern chef encased in the body of an Indian man. And that is the story of this cookbook. Welcome, Vish. Thank you all for having me. It's been Thank a while. You. How's the journey of being out on the road and uh, promoting this fabulous volume that you guys have created? Well, th- thank you very much for for saying that. Uh, the journey's been a lot of fun. You know, it's uh, it, it, as it came on the heels of you know not being able to travel for a couple of years. Uh, it was really nice to get out on the road and and, and see friends and. Uh, you know, have reunions, if you will. So it, it's it's been a lot of fun. We saw you at the Mississippi Book Festival. Uh, yes, that was a quick, a quick, very yeah. quick trip. <clears throat> so uh, tell us where else you've been. I, I saw in something you had been in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and had a great dinner. Mention some yes. of the places that you've been. Yeah, so so majority of the trip uh, was in, in the southeast. So I started off. Of course, uh, you know, we launched uh, at Square Books, um, which made perfect sense to me and, and to everybody else. And and then a quick trip to uh, Greenwood uh, and then uh, New Orleans, Air Hope, Orange Beach, uh, Charlotte, Raleigh, Asheville, North Carolina, Atlanta and Decatur, Georgia, uh, Washington, D.C., New York. Uh, let's see where else, uh, uh, Harbor Springs, Michigan and Ann Arbor, Michigan. Oh, you know, I really enjoyed both John Kurtz's piece about, uh, about your friendship and your, uh, respect for each other. But I really loved that piece, which Carol 
touched on about the chef journey, the right. journey to becoming a chef. It is not necessarily a degree. It's not a jacket. No. It is not, you know, your name on the door or anything else. But talk just a little bit about the way John described it in your personal chef journey. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you know, full, uh, you know, full disclosure here. John, John's view and, and mine might differ a little bit. Well, that's uh, good. We want to hear about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, no, but I mean, you know, it, it, what it is, you know, I mean, it, for me, this was all very new, right? I, I didn't, I'd never had any intentions of, of cooking. I'd never had any intentions of working in restaurants. Uh, but I fell into it and, and fell in love with it. Uh, and so, I, you know, the whole process, you know, over the last uh, two and a half decades, three decades has been about learning for me. You know, just how, how do you uh, become first? I mean, how do you learn, you know, to, to cook in a, in a professional kitchen? I mean, that, that took a while to get used to. And then, and then learning foods that I was not necessarily familiar with. I'd, I'd grown up vegetarian. So, you know, starting to learn how to work with fish and meat. And, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a new experience and, and, and a new learning process. Uh, and then, you know, as, as that continued, uh, you know, keep, kept getting uh, moving up the line, if you will, uh, learning how to manage people and how to teach and how to learn, because you can't really teach if you're not learning, if you don't know how to talk to people, right. if you don't know, you know, uh, how to uh, approach, because not everybody learns the same way. And so you have to learn yourself, how, you know, the best way to to talk to folks and and, and you know, work with uh, uh, their skill set. And so, you know, that's the process. Um, that was the most challenging, but also the most interesting. And I still find that most interesting, uh, which you know, that, and that is what keeps me, you know, motivated every day to go to work. And I, I'm not sure if that answered your question at all. But, uh, you know, that's that's the fun part for me, that the fun part is is the learning and teaching that happens every day. When Snack Bar first opened, the menu, you know, in my opinion, um, was very, very different, you know, from what it is today. And so uh, I know that that has been a journey. When did it come together for you? When, you know, this amazing fusion of this Indian-fused Southern cuisine, and not just Indian, but you're bringing other flavors. At what point did that meld? Uh, I mean— Maybe maybe a year and a half into it, uh, so you know we opened in two thousand nine. Uh, maybe maybe by two thousand eleven, you know I, I had you know basically uh, had been let loose. Uh, you know John had had withdrawn completely from Snack Bar and you know told me to you know go go have fun and and I started. And I mean I had I had those flavors, but I mean I had worked with them at City Grocery as well. So it wasn't uh, completely, completely new. Uh, but the idea that I, I could um, use these flavors uh, with certain ingredients and, and um, people would appreciate them, uh, you know, that was, that was a great uh, sort of awakening for me that I, I could do that and there would not be pushback from the folks that came to eat. I read in your book that that you're in a supper club, and really that the supper club meals 
yeah, freed you a little bit to do this because everybody liked him so much. Can you speak to that? Sure. So it's it's a, it's a separate club, but uh, you know, there there are eight of us, so, you know, just friends. We, we like to cook and we like to hang out and and talk uh, nonsense, as if you will, and you know, just. <laughs> Eat, uh, drink, and talk nonsense. There's bourbon involved. Yeah. There, there, sometimes there is. Uh, I really don't know very much about you know just Indian food, right? Classical Indian food. I know very little about it, other than uh, other than just. Uh, you know what? What I knew two or three things that I knew uh, that I'd learned from my mother, maybe four or five things. Uh, and so the supper club gives me a, a chance to sort of go into recipes uh, that might be, you know, something that I haven't made that I like to eat uh, that are say very Indian or very Moroccan or something like that. So I'll, I'll find a cookbook I like or find a recipe that uh, I've been, you know, dying to make. And then you know, it's it's a good place to. Uh, experiment on folks and see how things are going to go right in your introduction uh you mentioned uh passing through jackson and uh, i wanted to see if we could uh dig a little deeper there i remember that you were working at the blackwater cafe correct with, with sandy was, yeah. and uh Marcy and David, and David right, and Earl yep. Fike was there. Yeah, uh, Tony yep. Defada and Melissa, and uh, but mm-hmm. I don't know how long you were there. I remember coming there. I remember brunch, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, we did. We did brunch and lunch, and and we tried really hard to do dinner, but nobody would cross the cross under the bridge. There would be a line outside the Mayflower, but people wouldn't step, you know, right. another uh, hundred yards to, to to come to us. So you know that. Uh, that, that's changed a little bit now, but you know, uh, still, still a work in progress in Jackson, I guess. But you did win a great award when you were in Jackson. I believe you met your future wife. I did. Absolutely. And that was, you know, <laughs> uh, I, 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 very much so. Yes. Uh, and, and that's, you know, thanks to, as I, again, thanks to, uh, Tony and Melissa, uh, they, they introduced us, uh, and, uh, yeah, things worked out. She's she's put up with me for twenty one, twenty two years now. So. Well, the book is uh, beautiful. So uh, you know, I would be interested in your sort of thinking about your partners. You must have had many. I know uh, Sarah Camp, Milam, and Angie mm-hmm. Mosier were very involved, yep. and, and many others. But it is a simply gorgeous book. Not only is it so informative yep. and so different. Um, but it is also uh, a beautiful, beautiful uh, volume, and uh, and I'm curious Thank about you. your working with your all these different partners. Yeah, so I mean, uh, well, Sarah Camp, yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't have written it, uh, you know, and, and it come out as well as it did. The stories uh, without without her guidance, uh, and then Angie Mosier, you know, I mean, she is a photographer's photographer, understands food. She she can cook better than. Than most of the cooks I know, so she understands, uh, you know, food and 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 uh, you know the stories that food can tell better than than most people. Uh, so when she agreed, I mean, and that she was, I mean, when when my editors asked me if I had a photographer I would like to work with, and I only had one name, I said Angie Mosher. Uh, and uh, very fortunately, she happened to have a window of time. 
uh, where she said, yes, I can I can do this, but it has to be done in, in three weeks. These are the three weeks, you know, one week in Oxford, uh, one week uh, in Atlanta, uh, and then a few days uh, sort of in between, we'll, we'll, we'll get it done. Uh, and so we spend a summer week here in, in August. She came to Oxford. We spend a week uh, photographing everything at my house. Uh, and then in, in November, I went to Atlanta uh, and then you spend a week there photographing everything else at her house. So everything that was photographed uh, was done in, in our houses because I wanted to make sure that the recipes were all cooked on home stoves and not in rest on restaurant stoves because this was a cookbook about cooking at home and for folks at home. Well, but, I wanted yeah, to and, comment and, on, on that, on the cooking at home aspect when I first saw the book, I actually saw it right before it came out. My uh, husband, John, is in a first editions club, and he came home with the book, and he was so taken for with it that uh, we were actually driving somewhere, and he brought the book and was looking through it as I was driving the car and you know, commenting on all the recipes and, oh, my gosh, I wish we could make this, I wish we could make that. And, you know, I'm thinking that it's going to be yeah, ingredients I can't get. It's going to be a chef's book of, you know, not for me, the home cook. And when I got home that night, I read it. And the first thing I wanted to make was the Moroccan kitchen chicken stew. When I looked at the Moroccan seasonings, I you know, got my computer out and I was going to order all of these spices. I found that every single one of them was in my kitchen drawer. Right. And that has impressed me so much about the book. I have stretched out now that I've done more recipes and ordered more ingredients, but when I made that uh, half cup of Moroccan seasoning, which I've also used on, you know, used on other things. I found mm -hmm. every single thing um, right in my own pantry. <clears throat> and and this is not just an Indian cookbook for our listeners. Tell us a little bit about the background of the Moroccan chicken stew. <laughs> uh, wait, so, first, I mean, I, yeah, I, I think of myself as a Southern chef, and I think of this as a Southern cookbook. Uh but but that recipe in particular, uh, you know, it, it's it comes from right everything we know about food and you know that we eat and uh, you know it, it comes from influences, right? So I my 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 family and I lived in in Strasbourg, France, uh, for a year uh, in in the early eighties, uh, and uh, we met this Moroccan family who were also immigrants. Uh, you know that that uh, he was a doctor, I believe, or a dentist. Uh, and, and she was a teacher and, and their son was my age and that's how I met them. And, uh, you know, just sort of meeting somebody uh, and when you are new to a country that is, you know, I mean, of course, they, they were Moroccans and they, you know, they had been in, in France for a while and they spoke French and I didn't. But, you know, we, we developed a friendship and uh, as one does, then you get invited for tea or, or you know, uh, have lunch or something like that. And when I when I first went to their home uh i could smell the spices that were very familiar to me and you know I, I had no idea that moroccan food used all these spices because i didn't really i mean i could probably find morocco on a map but other than that i had no idea 
more any more idea about it than that. Uh, and so, you know, I, I love those flavors. Of course, back then I was vegetarian, so I didn't really eat, uh, you know, all, all, all the foods that were being cooked, but I could, you know, eat the couscous and I could, you know, uh, try some of the, the vegetable tagine and stuff. But again, the flavors were really, really, really interesting to me. And so uh, I became a fan of, of those flavors and then, you know, moving to the U.S. and then, you know, traveling and then, you know, I, I was in D.C. and found a Mar Moroccan restaurant uh, and ate that food and sort of just, you know, I'm still in love with it. Uh, I mean, not just Moroccan food, but the food of, of Maghreb and, you know, that North African uh, stretch uh, along the Mediterranean. I, I love that, those flavors. Well, so it, it was a... Go ahead. So, yeah, so just a big finish. Uh, just, uh, it, was, it was a story about how different places can can find something in common uh in, in a faraway place if you will and, and that's you know hopefully you know that that was my sort of motivation for writing that that recipe and you've <clears throat> carol you've made the dish i have yeah. in fact I, i've made it twice and i wanted to mention that uh you're talking about angie mosher's photographs the photograph from this book you know a lot of times when we see these foods so food styled what what we actually cook at home looks nothing <laughs> like the styled photograph. But I was so proud that mine looked, you know, I didn't have Angie, Angie Mosher, but I only had my little iPhone camera. But I posted my picture on our Cooking and Coping Facebook page because, you know, I was just so proud that it had the look, not the perfect look, but all of your dishes, all the photographs are like this. They're very approachable, and they are not so foo-fooed up that uh, people they, can't no, make no, it. No, no, they're not. I mean, they're not. And that's what, you know, uh, that, that's the whole idea of this book. Because, I mean, I, I have lots of chef friends. I have really beautiful books that are, you know, that are written by, you know, four chefs. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I have a collection of them, and I also have books that uh, I cook out of. And the ones that I inevitably cook out of more often than not are the ones that are, you know, easy to, to find the ingredients, easy to sort of put together one-pot meals or whatnot. So ones that I don't have to travel uh, outside of Jackson, I mean, outside of Oxford, to, to go find ingredients i mean you know i mean as you know oxford is a small town and we have a kroger and you know a walmart and and you know one little other grocery store so that's you know if i can't find it here and i have to travel then then that becomes a special project uh for for a special meal and not a not an everyday meal so i wanted to make sure we had a book uh and, and recipes that people could cook uh, where they were and I, I, I thank you for letting the splattered tomato sauce show on the inside <laughs> of the Dutch oven. But we'll, t we'll talk about spices uh, after we take a phone call. And on the phone, we have Rebecca from Jackson who wants to comment on the book. Hey, Rebecca. Hey, I am so proud that the name of the book is I'm From Here. Is that correct? Yes. I love it because I'm from uh, South Louisiana, all French heritage, and my mother had a Bayard Gallery cookbook. And so I grew up in the kitchen, of course, and we had a lot of spices that Mississippi has um, embraced. And I love the fact that 
people are, you know, from Mississippi are actually trying Thai food, Indian food with all the spices uh, because they're a little bit more pungent than what they're accustomed to. But I just wanted to say, hooray, hooray, I'm from here too. And people say, where the from? You know, because of my accent. And I say, I'm from Jackson. <laughs> you know, it's like, right. but, but everywhere you go, I mean, Bay Saint, I came from Bay St. Louis uh, from uh, where they make Tabasco sauce from New Iberia, Louisiana. And so wherever you go, you have this beauty of the taste. And I've been around the world also. So I know the Greek seasonings versus the, you know, the, the seasonings that the Indians have the turmeric and the cumin and all of these wonderful uh, are also healthy. And so, um, cause I'm, I've switched to a plant-based diet since I got cancer, but um, I totally, my hat goes off to him because I'm so proud that he can say I'm from here. You know, I think that's a great name of a book and I can't wait to go out and buy it. It won't be a first edition, but <laughs> I'll, I'll probably right. go out and buy it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank, thank, you, thank you so much. Thanks, Rebecca. Thank, thank you for the... Bish, hey. would you like to comment on that? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, just just thank you for, you know, for, for uh, you know, saying that. And, and thank you for, uh, you know, talking about spices. I mean, I just want to point out to folks that, that we might think of, you know, uh, that spices are, are something new to the South. But that's not, not necessarily correct. I mean, you know, the... The history of the South, uh, and especially southern port cities, is, is about folks uh, traveling. You know, the spice trade was a big deal, uh, and, and bringing spices and, and and you know some of the big southern homes uh, were, were using spices or importing spices uh, to sort of show off their uh, how how cosmopolitan they were. They because they wanted to be seen. Uh, as as equals with with folks in places like uh, London and Paris and and whatnot. So uh, spices that we think of as as you know exotic or, or foreign have been uh, in the American South since as early as the 1600s. Uh, you know, you just have to look at some of the old recipes uh, and, and and look at what's you know what's in there. You know, things like mustard seeds and turmeric and and ginger and it's just that they weren't used in in a lot of savory food. Uh, you know, you, you found a lot of uh, things like cinnamon and cloves and things like that in in uh, in, in sweet uh, preparations. But but turmeric, for example, uh, you know that that's what gives mustard its color, and it's been here for a long time, and it's been used in deviled eggs for a long time. And I don't think you can get more southern than deviled eggs. So. There you go. <laughs> well, Vish, like any bona fide southern chef, you have a chapter on catfish. And um, I made the catfish parmesan. August was catfish month. And in honor of catfish month, that is, um, that's what I made. And wanted to ask you a question about the recipe. You said your inspiration was from your Delta friends. But how do you keep the, the fish crispy to hold up under the tomato sauce and uh, provolone cheese? Yeah, so so the key is, uh, uh, you know, and it, it won't be, you know, it won't, it's, it's the breading, just as you would do with, with a chicken parmesan or a veal parmesan. The key is to, to bread the fish lightly, uh, not, don't bread it so much that it's, uh, you know, it's all you taste, and uh, but 
uh, you bread it lightly and, and you uh, cook it off uh, part of the way through in, in some oil. So you get that crispy outside. And that then protects the fish as, as you put the sauce and the cheese and, and, you know, cook it just enough where then the sauce is warmed up and the cheese is melted. Uh, so you're still maintaining a little bit of that crunch from the, from the breading and, and the fish is nice and moist all the way through. Thank you. So, <clears throat> Vish, you write uh, on, in Chapter 1 about rice. Uh, the story of mm-hmm. rice is the story of human civilization. I wonder if you would share the footnote at the bottom of the page, which I just found to be fascinating about the Charleston gold rice. Uh, let me see if I can pull that chapter up real quick. Page 17. Thank you very much. And I knew you were going to ask me something like that. So I had the book, <laughs> so I had the book handy. <laughs> I just love oh, that, that uh, comment. Fun fact, you called it. Ah, lost it. I had it, and that's went too far. This is live radio, ladies and gentlemen. This is, yeah, this that's is you can hear roll. the pages turning. You can hear the oh, pages oh, turning. Fun fact. Okay, <laughs> Anson Mills, devil of Charleston Gold Rice, with the help of Gurudev Kush, an Indian-American scientist who won the 1996 World Food Prize for his work fighting world hunger by means of rice production. It's yet another point of Indian-Southern connection with rice as the conduit. And there you wow. have it. Wow. And Anson Mills is in Charleston, South Carolina, and uh, Glenn Roberts is the brilliant person behind that. And you can... Vish, I'm sure you use uh, Charleston Gold, but uh, you buy it wholesale. But people can also buy it in small quantities. Uh, you certainly can, but let me, you know, let's let's uh, you know, as good as, as Charleston Gold Rice is and Anson Mills. You know, we we have a couple of really nice rice growers in Mississippi that are doing some really fine work. So, you know, let, let's let's support those folks yeah. as well. Two Brooks being one of them, and I, you know, uh, I use. Uh, we see you to use rice. the Missamadi. This might be exclusively for, you know, uh, for, for rice recipes uh, or, or their rice grits or, you know, so, you know, they're, they're one. And, of course, uh, uh, Delta Blue is the other one. But we, we do have some some fine folks growing rice in Mississippi as well. So let's remember them as well. That, that's a great point. Uh, we we certainly support those people and we love the Jasmine and the Missamadi and uh, all of the rice and the rice grits. Uh, back to spices. Spice Walla is a mm-hmm. spice source um, on the inter- in, on the internet, and I see that they have developed a whole line of spices or packaging with your face on it. Wow! Yes, ma'am. So we, yeah. <laughs> so that they're really good friends of mine. So Spice Walla is an offshoot of. Uh, the Chaifani restaurant group that my friend, uh, friend Merwan Irani uh, heads up. Uh, and so, you know, they're, they're in Ad, based out of Asheville, North Carolina. And uh, as you can imagine, getting Indian spices to Asheville, North Carolina is just about as easy as getting them to Oxford, Mississippi. Uh, and so we will just start grinding and, and, and buying bulk for our restaurants. Uh, which then turned into, well, why can't we sell them to the folks that are always asking us where to get the spices? So that's how it's it's a small company based out of Asheville, North Carolina. That uh, really good spices and, 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 you know, buys really good quality spices. 
because that's what they use in their restaurants. Uh, and so I, I became one of sort of the early, uh, one of their early clients, if you will, uh, mostly for personal use, some in the restaurant. And then we've developed this relationship and we've become friends. Uh, so they asked me if I had, you know, as, as the book was coming out and if, if uh, I wanted to share some, uh, some of my uh, spice recipes. And I said, uh, of course, I would love to. And so we developed these uh, three blends together uh, that are now out uh, and available. Uh, and, uh, you know, they put my face on it. That was completely, <laughs> completely well, their idea, not mine. <laughs> they're beautifully packaged in that spice walla, W-A-L-L-A, two words. And it's you can find it at their... Well, I'm just, just going to the Internet, just spice search walla. For it, yeah. Yeah, SpiceWallaBrand.com. And, and they, they not just, you know, Indian spices. They also carry a really uh, high-quality, you know, affordable uh, collection of, of any, any everything from barbecue rub to fresh thyme to dill to, you know, of course, Kashmiri chili or, or you know, what, what have you. So uh, they, they're, they're, they're great. And, you know, with, with, as, as you guys were saying, pumpkin season coming up, uh, they have this thing called uh, – uh, the golden milk blend, which is uh, has turmeric and ginger and cardamom and and, uh, and that makes a really really nice uh, addition to if you're making a pumpkin pie, uh, just just adds this flavor without you know without going a traditional pumpkin spice route. Well, Vish, we appreciate your time and we uh, admire your new book. I am from here: stories and recipes from a southern chef. Vishwish Bot. Thank you so much for joining us, my friend. Oh, thank you for having me. And uh, it's, it's an honor to, to be on your radio show and then talk to you all. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. We are funded by generous contributions from listeners like you, and we thank you. Our show is produced by Java Chapman. And for my co-host, Carol Palmer, and our guests, Vish Bot. I am Malcolm White. Join us each Monday for more Deep South Dining. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.